0: This program is brought to you by P1 Australia Racing Components, the designer of the oil heat mats for dry sump tank applications. Find out more about the truths on engine oil heating
1: at p1australia.com. You love supercars and keeping up to speed sometimes means hitting the rev limiter? Welcome to the Gates Rev Limiter Podcast. After each round, we unpack what happened. Join Andrew Clark. Paused the fraction and got it right, and they probably still would have won the race. I mean, and that, yours truly, Neville Wilkinson. Is it the heady days when Ford was spending mega bucks for all the action, all the controversy, and sometimes a little emotion? The Gates Rev Limited Supercars Podcast. Subscribe now on Apple, Spotify, or where you listen to them.
2: Thunder Media. Hi, I'm Chas Mostert. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. And you're listening to Inside Supercars. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars.
0: On this episode of Inside Supercars Book Club, it's our chance to hear from the V8 sleuth, Aaron Noonan, and how it all started.
2: Our timing was perfect to be able to roll that book out and, I guess, take advantage of the you know, the heartstrings of the time when people go, oh, hang on a minute, the, the lion and helmet's disappearing. He, 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 here's a book that you can uh, enjoy the, the history of it with. So that's the first one. Made lots of mistakes, lots of screw-ups, uh, lots of things that we just didn't know at the time. The Sleuth Talks Books
0: and Motorsport here on Inside Supercars. And it starts now. Welcome to Inside Supercars as we continue our series looking at motorsport and Australian motorsport books. And one man who has published quite a number of them now is Aaron Noonan from the V8 Sleuth. And Aaron, you've had a very long career in motorsport, well published, but do you remember that first book you put together and what that was like?
2: I wish I knew than what I know now because I would have saved a whole pile of the grief, probably some money and plenty of hours as well, Craig. But um I mean, we've been publishing books now for probably five or six years, but to go back to the the first one that we published ourselves was a history of the Holden Racing Team's cars. And that's um you know, it's it's that book. It's its fault that the rest of this stuff's flowed. So I think that was I'd seen a book that McLaren did with all of their race cars, not just Formula One, but they, they did a, um, a really nice big square coffee table style book. And, and it wasn't too overblown. It didn't, it didn't go in-depth, nitty-gritty on every single model McLaren, but it was really nice. And a lot of the cars had been photographed in studios. And I thought, wow, imagine the budget to do that. And so it was kind of, that inspired the HRT one. And when it was confirmed that they were going to lose the factory backing, um, so that was at the end of 16. So during 16, that call was announced. So our timing was perfect to be able to roll that book out and ta- I guess take advantage of the, you know, the heartstrings of the time when people go, oh, hang on a minute, the, the lion and helmet's disappearing. Here, here, here's a book that you can uh, enjoy the, the history of it with. So that's the first one. Made lots of mistakes, lots of screw-ups, uh, lots of things that we just didn't know at the time. And um, I think we've done probably somewhere in the vicinity of 10 to 15 cents that we've either published ourselves or been heavily involved with for other people. So. Um, Yeah, but I would love to go back about six or seven years because I probably would get a whole pile of hours of my life back that I probably wasted doing parts of that book that we just didn't know any different.
0: A lot of the people I've spoken to already on the show, they were commissioned to do that work for Penguin, for Random House, for for Big publishers in the country who were looking at hitting a niche and uh, then running with it. For yourself, self-publishing, learning it all on the run, what was the biggest takeaway from that first one that you've been able to then go, ah, when I do this again, we make these changes and then now with the the current latest edition book, which is the history of the Adelaide 500, you haven't made those mistakes ever again.
2: No, the difference is, too, when I did the first book, it was me. Like I had, at the time, um, the business was much smaller. It was pretty much me. But now with the guys that we have on our team, Will Dale, Stephen Bartholomeus, I mean, Conor O'Brien's more in the web, but more than capable of being able to write for a book if need be. So I can kind of – that my role is more now about the, the monies and the dollars and cents and the wheeling and dealing and the making sure that we've got, you know, the cover approved. With the, if there's a licensing issue that we're we're working in partnership with someone else, like we're you know we're, we're going to do some more car history books with Triple Eight and Tickford for their 20th anniversaries. They're official books, so I'll handle all that. I'll handle images. The boys will handle the writing, and I'll still get involved in a pile of it. So that's probably the biggest thing that's changed along the way since we did the first one um, six or seven years ago. But the thing that hasn't changed. I mean, everyone said I remember ten years ago pick books are dead books are dead, it's all about Kindles, it's all about iPads, it's all about reading electronically. This is totally proof that if you've got, and there's two. you said about it before, those bigger publishers, there's two games in town. There's the big publisher, Volume Low Price, which is the books you see at Father's Day, Christmas, Big W, Kmart, and and specialist bookshops. Then there's the stuff we're doing, which is it's niche, but having said that, there's a niche for it. Uh, It's low print run. Yes, it's higher in its price, pricing price point, um, but it's limited. You know we'll print two, maybe 3,000, of some of these books. Other publishers with those more broader titles will do 12 or 15,000, and if they sell well, they'll reprint and reprint and keep going until the, the demand slows down. So, um, and we've done a little bit. I've written a few books for other publishers. Um, most recently, Neil Crompton's book. I wrote that with Neil um, for HarperCollins. and there's another project coming with those guys next year. But, Knowing the two sides of the fence, I mean, I couldn't do a book like that because I don't have as big a cricket bat as those guys have, and, and all that sort of stuff. But the thing that we have that was critical that probably wouldn't have meant well, it probably meant that the book thing for us, the specialist books, would have been more of a struggle. We had a ready made audience V8 Sleuth, social media following. I've been around the game a fair while now. I feel a little bit old, but I'm assured that I'm not. Um, so there's an awareness that I've got. The television stuff was obviously very good for that, too. So we had an awareness and a market. We weren't trying to build it from scratch, which was a massive key.
0: You went through a whole bunch of ideas, and obviously you've said that McLaren idea was the, the genesis of it. What would you change now from that first HRT book were you to do a HRT book again, or if you were to reprint it again now in a second run or, a, or an updated edition?
2: Well, we, we did a, a, an updated second edition of HRT in in recent times. So the key there was, I mean, the first book was this big square thing because the McLaren thing was like that. But when you do economies of print scale and you think of the big rolls of paper that printers have, they tend to go off how many book pages can they print on one big roll of paper. And quite often you want to do a nice, you know, I want that square book. Yeah, but, mate, you'll fit four of them across the big roll of paper where if you do another size you'll get seven. And your books will be cheaper. Of course, didn't know that, did I? I wanted it to look like the McLaren book. So, um, and then when we did do that second edition of HRT, which is an updated version, it's based on the same book, but it's in a new format. It's in the same format that we've done for DJR and Perkins. So we had a template and we had a and not just template of how it looked, but also a template of how we put it together behind the scenes. So um, probably the biggest thing, though, was don't try to do it all yourself. Sometimes it's better to pay the money for someone else to do. And David Hassel, long-time journo, friend of mine, um, who's the editor at Motorsport News when I was a kid, started off, he proofed the first book because I'd seen it. My eyes were square looking at it over and over. You need some other eyes. You need some other input. Uh, try to do it all your own. Yes, it's economically better, but it'll cost you way more time and it'll fry your brain. So that's one of the big things I definitely learned. never doing that again.
0: Without trying to run this show as a promotion for buying VH 8 Sleuth books, how important on a niche publishing side are those pre-orders? When you come out and say, I'm going to do a book on CEDO, which is currently on sale at uh, all good Adelaide 500s and uh, online at Sleuth. But no, in all seriousness, you say you're going to do a book about CEDON. How important are those pre-orders in whether you do 1,000 or 2,000 and then when someone hears about it later, there's something
2: available for them. Yeah, it's a little bit like I'd liken it to model cars. It's the same type of thing. You don't want to make too many that you're stuck with them, but you, don't want, to make, you want to make enough that you make this project worth its while. Um, you don't want to do too few that you sell out within two seconds flat and then you go, oh crap, we've only just made a small profit on this. We could have made more because look, there's, there's a lot of people who'd go, well, you know, it can't be all about money. Believe me, though, it's the money's a big thing because it's what we do. It's our business. It's it's not our hobby. It's it's very much what we do. So, um, the pre-order thing is really critical because it helps you determine exactly what you can and what number of order you need to do. So, by the time you add up those pre-orders on the website, um, stockists, we have a few stockists around the place who, who have our stuff. Get their orders in. How many do they want? All right. Well, we're going to need some up our sleeve for when we go on sale with it but you don't want to have too many that you have boxes stacked everywhere and you can't move the things because you don't want to be, um, you know, in a a year's time having, particularly if it's a numbered, signed, limited edition, you don't want to have millions of the things left because then that defeats the whole purpose. So, um, yeah, the pre-orders, because it just gives you an idea of where you should fall, and we've done enough now that you've got a bit of a vibe before you do a book that it's going to go good enough that it's worth doing, but you need the pre-orders to get a bit of an idea of, all right. Has this really lit up, or has this sort of have we got a wrong read on this and it's kind of fallen a bit flat? If that's the case, you go all right. Well, we'll minimise the risk here and pull the number back that we print. And all right, it's not going to go booming, but at least we're not going to lose out of it. So yeah, the pre-order bit is, is crucial because I think a lot of people clearly sit back and go, "I'll just buy it when it comes out," which you can do. We'll always have stock when the thing's released. But I think a lot of people have learnt now, particularly the car history books, they're limited number. They're limited in terms of um, the stock and if they're gone, they're gone. So I think enough people have missed out on some of the books over the years to go, ah, oh, when they say that they're limited, we're going to listen. We'll get the pre-order in and we won't miss out. You did Neil's book or
0: worked with Neil on the book. How big a difference is the experience of doing a book for Random House to doing a book for you, VH Sleuth, doing it for
2: yourself? It's like a whole nother project because you really don't have any control, which is the first thing. I'm very used to that. I run my own business, publish my own books with a great team. But at the end of the day, it's my decision um, on pretty much everything at the end of the day. I make the final call. With this one, I'm a, I was a contracted um, writer for Papa Collins. It's Neil's book. I'm his, you know, I mean, he, he's a more capable writer than he gives himself credit for. He gives, I'm just a TV guy. Well. He can write, like he can actually write. He he doesn't give himself enough credit, but it's very different too. Not just doing it for you know someone else, and you know you've got a deadline. You've got other. I mean, and we had issues with the deadline because Neil got crook right in the middle of doing it. So um HarperCollins are awesome because they they opened it up to. I mean, let it go as long as it needed to go for him to be well enough again to to for us to pick it up and roll on. But you're telling someone else a story. Um, it's been written in the first person, so you. You're trying to get there, make it sound like them. But because I've known him for so long and there's been a lot of – and I've pestered him for 10 years to do a book. So I'd kind of half written it in my head anyway, all the stories I've asked him about over the years. Um, but and the thing was too, having a publisher that is really understanding, really supportive, not just when we had that delay, but they can give you good feedback and go, look, yep, that's on track, we love that, more of that. Oh, no, nah, a bit less of this. So, And it's also challenging that you have editors who – they don't know motor racing, so they'll come back and change things. And you go, no, 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 because it's very motor racing nuanced and the sport is very nuanced. No, 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 it's not – okay, I could see how you could think it means that, but it's got to say like that because that's how it's said in motorsport. You know, there's a lot of terms and stuff like that. So. I know
0: I said Conrod straight and it's a straight, but they didn't have a chase back
2: then. Yeah, it's all that sort of stuff that – you and, and you've, the other thing that's the big thing, it's one thing to write – for another publisher, it's another thing to be writing in someone else's voice in essence. But it's also another thing to be writing for a broader audience. So the books we do are for our audience, motorsport fans who we don't have to spell it out, Holden Racing Team. You say HRT, they know what it is. But when you're doing a book like this for a big publisher, it's on a broader sales basis. So it's not you know, plenty of hardcore fans are buying it and reading it and enjoying it. But you also have to cater for the, the. You've got to explain things a bit more. You've got to spend a bit more of your word count just setting the scene on who's this person, why are they important, where do they fit into the whole scheme, rather than just blazing in with you know Billy, Bobby, or Joe, who you and I know, but all the other people out there don't. So that's that's the other thing. You've got to almost re reprogram your brain. Did it
0: then change the way you thought about how you do your books, or did you say no? This is this is mass market. I'm still niche and I I don't think there's much that crosses over there.
2: Um, I don't think there – I mean, in the content, yes, it's still applicable if we published it or someone else did, but from the way it all – all the other bits, they're so different. They're completely different. And our, our stuff that we do is probably more um, – what would you say? It's more info-based content. I mean, it's hard to – Go into storytelling with a lot of that stuff, whereas in a, a book like Neil's, it's full of stories, it's full of anecdotes, it's got to be entertaining, um, reflective, um, honest, it's got to be a lot of things. Whereas I guess the books we do are our fans want us, they want to see that cool, rare photo of the Larry Perkins Commodore testing with a different wing on it. Whereas Joe Blow on the Street's like, who cares? <laughs> like, who cares? So that's probably the biggest difference, but. It's probably about the process to what you learn from doing it for someone else in a big publisher. You you always pick up things that you can. It might not directly apply to your world, but you can. You know, there's there's little things that you can adapt to that that definitely work.
0: I've had authors say to me, "What I learned is I never want to do another book." Obviously, that doesn't apply in your case.
2: But (laughs) what is the what is the challenge there? It does. I've thought that many times Um, because you got they're big projects, particularly the ones we publish. Because they're, they're very fact, detail laden. They're very rich in that stuff. So that's more things that you can get wrong. So um, I've got to the end of many books and exactly thought, I'm never doing another book again um, because they do take a lot. And, and when the books turn up from the printers, I have this thing, I don't know why, when they turn up, I don't want to look at them. Uh, you know, everyone else is wanting to crack it open and see what it looks like. I know what it looks like. We just spent the last six months doing it on a computer screen. Um, I do like the new book smell, though. That's probably what gets me in line, but I don't look at them for three or four weeks. I just – I don't want to see if there's something wrong. I'll always find something that I go, oh, I don't like that. Why did we do that? Uh, I don't know. It takes a month to sort of, you know, get settled in and I feel all right to look at it and then it's okay after that and we'll think about the next one, so –
0: what is the book you would love to write? Oh, gee.
2: Ignore the commercial realities, ignore... Legalities?
0: illegalities. Illegal- oh, right. Just who is the person or what is the car that is the story you'd love to tell, but it is the story that only maybe that you think Aaron Noonan would want to read?
2: I think um, I'd love to do a book that's... All the cheating scandals of history, but... Um,
0: I've been mean, wanting we'll to do that yeah. pod- podcast for yeah, a while. Yeah,
2: I, 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 maybe that's the thing to do when I know that I'm just about to leave and go, well, I'm done. See you later. <laughs> um, there's a... F- oh, we kick around ideas at work all the time. And, and I don't know, Will, Dale's got... He's got a couple of projects. He goes, oh, I'd love to do that one day. And oh, we've all got these ones. and Oh, yeah, but it won't stack up. Nah, not enough people will buy it. Or it's too niche. Or, oh, it's there <laughs> But I, I reckon... I've probably done the – like the HRT one was the one that I sort of went, oh, I really would like to do that. But one that's popped up at work and we've kicked it around and we – is there a way to do another Peter Brock book that hasn't been done? You probably would say no, really. I mean there's been a –
0: I would actually say yes because I think there are some angles. There are some angles that I don't think have been explored. But as you said, there's a lot of them, and how do you make it stand out from the crowd?
2: Yeah, and one of the ones that we've kicked around at work, which is appealing but it's also very imposing, is Brock, every race. Go through from 1967, whatever the first one was with the A30 Austin, right through to 2006, and not you clearly couldn't write reams and reams about each event, but you think about there's a lot of the big-ticket stuff that we all know and remember, but there's piles of interesting one-offy stuff and unique things. We've got so many great old archive photos that it's probably a project like that that's the only way you'll make them see the light of day. So it's a lot of work. It's a lot of effort. There is a book. Um, there's an Etten Center book like that where they've captured all of his races, um, and there's a Nicky Lauder one too that came out about a year or two ago. So I, that's the, I think that would be our... As a Brock fan, as a kid, that's probably the biggest, geez, it'd be a lot of pages, but it'd be probably the big, big book that you'd say would be the, the one to try to do somewhere, sometime.
0: Is there a finite life on a Peter Brock book? Let's face it, the Peter Brock fans are getting older yeah. and not with us anymore. Yeah. So is there a time where that story won't be relevant anymore? And I, uh, music is the classic case. There are some songs that could have been the, the most popular songs of their era. If you put them on the radio today, you can't, get, you can't even get the kids to watch the video clip. Mm. I'm on YouTube for more than 30 seconds. They want to move on because it doesn't, it doesn't appeal to them.
2: Yeah, I feel a bit. I mean, he's been gone now for what, 15, 16 years since 06. So there's. I feel I don't think it will ever die. The Brock thing won't die because. Is he be Ned Kelly? You can put out an Ned Kelly book and it sells. Yeah, I think so. As long as you can find a different angle or put it together in a different way, he's always he's got. Who's going to beat him for nine wins at Bathurst? There's a statue at the front of the museum. Who's going to get a statue other than him? Um, the trophy's named after him, so he's omnipresent. No matter how many years we tick by down the track, we're losing Holdens. There's another link gone. So I feel it's diminished a bit. I mean, naturally, time goes on and. You know, um, memories fade and, 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 yes, as you said, you know, fan bases get old and pass away and do the new ones come on through. You know, when he died in 06, you know, someone who was born then is 16 now, never saw him. Never saw him race, never saw him compete. Just could read about him in a book or somewhere. But I always think that the great thing about the world now where there's such a thirst for content, particularly video like Netflix and all that stuff. And you see the odd song or the odd thing from the past get reinterpreted or put in a movie or pop back up somewhere somehow and it brings something old new again. Um, you know, Michael Jordan's massive, but yep. the, the Last Dance, Doco brought all that early 90s, mid-90s back. So um, I kind of think somewhere along the line something like that happens because no matter which way you – who you compare him to, he's – You know, he was amazing. There will never be another person in the sport in Australia like him or the impact he had. Just, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So, it's faded and it's fading. But I think it's it would take something special. And I think a book that went here's every race that the bloke did. It's the full compendium. Might be two volumes. Would would it still sell? Would it still have enough you know fan base out there? I I think so. And people like. People like nice things. If it's a really well put together book and it's in a slipcase, and it's got some beautiful photos they've never seen and it's on nice paper, you know, there's a market for for nice stuff regardless of whether the content's, you know, Brock or Lowndes or whatever it might be.
0: What, if you're comfortable saying, is 300 books enough to be viable?
2: No, not not in any type of book, whether it's a, a low run thing or a, yeah, no, you, you need, you need to be, well, it depends. Every book's different. Every, some have got licensing costs with teams that you're working with. Some are printed in different sizes. Some are on different paper. So, it's always hard to say. But 300, it'd be the whole, um, who was the supermodel that wouldn't get out of bed for more than 10 grand? Was it Linda Evangelista or someone like that? It's a bit like that. I think it's like that. 300 books, we're not getting out of the office with that. So, yeah, you'd need to be oh, you need to be over a thousand to have, even have something. That, but then again, how much are you selling it for? How much is it wholesaling for? Um, what's it, yeah, is, and, and, is it a commission? Yeah, there's so many elements, and, and the way the world now, mate, price of everything's gone up. Paper, whether you're printing locally or offshore, up. You know, transporting stuff. You know, you print two or three thousand books from offshore. That's a lot of room to fit in a container. So that's gone up. So it's getting harder all the time. So kind of the par score for how many copies has gone up as well, so it's harder.
0: Aaron, it's, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you, and it's always a fascinating chat. I thank you for your time again. And, uh, well, I mentioned the Adelaide book. I know you can get the Seton book. I can't keep up with all the books. The Perkins book is still out there. The HRT book, second edition, is around. What's next?
2: Uh, what have I well, there's, there's a few there that we've done. I've forgotten half of them now, but uh, Jim Richards, he's next. So that, that's um, out for Christmas 2022 and obviously on going into 23, um, which we're really proud of and, and Jim was awesome to, to do that with. 20th anniversary of Triple Eight Cars next year, because 2003, 2023, and the same with Tickford from when they started at FPR. So they'll be the big limited edition books like HRT and Perkins and, and DJR as well.
0: Are you going to do, I don't know, I'm a bit of a comic book fan and comic books come out, particularly in the more niche area of the comic books, they come out with a different cover for the same, so the same comic book inside, but they'll have different cover artists doing that. Tickford, of course, has had 15 different names. Do you do the same book? And, because collectors will buy all five versions of the comic book with a different cover just to get the cover art. So will you have a Tickford book, an FPR book, uh, you know, the same book with that different – maybe you can do it as a sleeve.
2: Uh, I think a dust jacket's looking way easier, mate. I think that's way easier to make a – a different version, but um otherwise the cost to have a different cover for maybe, you know, three different covers over a couple of thousand books.
0: Is there only three names? I thought there was five name
2: uh, changes. Well, for performance racing, Pro Drive Racing Australia and Tickford Racing as they are now. But then again they've had and so many Tickford other in
0: between, didn't
2: they? When Seaton was for Tickford Racing. And then he went away from that. He was for Credit Racing again and then he sold it to them. So yeah, there's a bazillion iterations and eras and then they've run customer cars for Charlie Schwerkalt and Rod Nash was a customer before he was a part owner. There was Super Black for a while. There was, even for a shorter time, Team Kiwi, uh, Super Girls, Wildcard at Bathurst, Super 2 DVS cars. Um, yeah, there's there's plenty to fit in that one, plenty so. You're making me think how much of a big workload it is now thinking about all that, but um, no, let's go with the dust jacket. Way easier, way easier.
0: Aaron, always a pleasure to catch up with you and thanks for your time here on Inside Supercars. Thank you, Craig. Appreciate it. My thanks to Aaron Noonan. Next week on the show, well, we probably go to the godfather of the Australian motorsport book, We Speak to Bergie. I guess over the years, with all you know, we've done two editions of uh, the Australian Grand Prix history book. We've done four editions of the Australian Touring Car Championship history, from 20 years to 30 years to 40 years to 50 years. Uh, so, all told, I suppose, in the various incarnations that I've worked under as far as company titles. Concerned, we've probably published about 110 to 120 books over those years, which is which is a reasonable number. Ray Burkhouse joins us, and we look forward to hearing all his stories on a life spent in well, publishing and motorsport. Until then, keep smiling and bye for now.
2: Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media.
1: Tune in next time for more, or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.
2: The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panelists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media, or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.
1: You love supercars, and keeping up to speed sometimes means hitting the rev limiter. Welcome to the Gates Rev Podcast. After each round, we unpack what happened. Join Andrew Clark, paused the fraction and got it right, and they probably still would have won the race. I mean, that... And yours truly, Neville Wilkinson, these are the heady days when Ford was spending mega bucks for all the action, all the controversy, and sometimes a little emotion. The Gates Rev Limited Supercars Podcast. Subscribe now on Apple, Spotify, or where you listen to them.